Well, I'm glad that you are here today. We are going back to the book of Romans, and I know that somebody said to me earlier, like, the book of Romans, haven't we been in that for like six years? No, we haven't been in the book of Romans for six years. I know it feels like it, uh, but it's really not true. We've been in it for uh, a while. But we've gone through the first 11 chapters, and we've got uh, four to go. Uh, somebody this week was asking me, how many, so how many chapters are in Romans? I said 16, and they thought I said 60. And they thought, it, well, you know, yeah, so we're just going to preach Romans till Jesus comes back, and that's going to be it. But no, no, it's not true. Chapter 16 is the end. Uh, let me just do a little bit of refresher for you. This is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, to the churches in Rome. Now, this is a circular letter. He wrote it to the churches in Rome, not to a specific church. Now, many of his letters he wrote to a specific church, and he dealt with specific problems and issues that were going on in that church that do apply to churches all the time, but especially when he sends a letter uh, wanting it to be a circular letter. He wants it to go to a church, they read it, and then they send it to another, and hopefully they can make a copy and send it to another and send it to another. Of course, there was no internet, there was no, you know, tweet, tweeting going on, except by birds, and that was, uh, you know, all the things that was going on. So, so he had to send this letter to be sent to all the churches. That's really important for us to understand because what that means is, while all of God's word is inspired, this he specifically wrote in a very normative way. This, supplies to, this applies to every church in every time, in every place, all the time. And so it's really important that we look at a uh, letter like this and a, a book in the New Testament like this with great gravity. The first 11 chapters were mostly theological. And, and I know sometime during that time, it's like, man, is he studying for sermons at all? It sounds like we just preached the one he did last week, you know, again. And no, Paul was going over and over uh, to help us understand the importance of the gospel. The things that he talked about, and by the way, if you missed any of those sermons, uh, they're all on our website. You can go there at fogkc.com, and you can look them up there. They're all there. And, uh, uh, but he talked about things like mankind's depravity. He talked about how we, in and of ourselves, are so depraved. We are so far from God. We want our own way. We want to do our own thing, and it's never good. And so we talked about mankind's depravity. He talked about God's righteous judgment. He talked about how it's, it's not part of God's character to look the other way and go, eh, no big deal. Come on into heaven, you bunch of sinners. Just pollute the whole thing. It's not, it's not in God's character to do that. God's judgment is very righteous. And so that's an important part with man's depravity. Uh, then he talked about peace and righteousness are made with God through faith. The reality is uh, we are very far from God. We are in this depraved state, and God's righteousness is way over here at the opposite end of the spectrum. His goodness and our badness are about as far away from each other as they can possibly be. But he says that peace and righteousness can be made with God through faith. So by putting our faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to pay for our sins, we can be made right with God. He talked about how we were uh, slaves to righteousness instead of slaves to sin. He talked about how uh, when we were uh, still far from God, before, before we put our faith and trust in God, uh, we are slaves to sin. We can't stop sinning. It's just, it's in our nature. We just do it. And it's, it's constant, really. It's a constant state of self. It's a constant state of, of, of doing things to please self, to, to uh, just do what I want to do. But once we can become a Christian... Uh, we can be slaves to righteousness. Now, that doesn't mean that we are become perfect, but it does mean that uh, our, our enslavement is, in, is to righteousness rather than a depravity. While we still sin in this world, uh, we certainly should sin less. We certainly have the power and the ability to sin less because the power of Christ is in us. 
He talked about how the law brings judgment and death. The reality is, folks, the law was never written to teach man how to live so that he could do it. The law was written to teach man how he should live so that man would go, I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's impossible for me. And so when Jesus came on the scene, everybody should have fallen on their face and said, finally, finally a savior to save us from this judgment of the law. But he talked about how grace brings forgiveness and eternal life. He talked about just recently in in chapter 10 and 11, how Gentiles and Jews both have access to God through Christ. Where before Jesus came on the scene, uh, the Jews were at least seeking God. They were at least trying to follow God. And the Gentiles were pretty much going their own way. Now they've both been made together into this new thing uh, because of what Jesus did in both their lives. And he was trying to help the Jews understand that Gentiles have access. And he was trying to help the Gentiles understand that they don't have to become Jews to follow Jesus. The bottom line is he spent 11 chapters And of course, these chapter marks and verse marks were not in the original letter. But he spent page after page talking about the gospel. He talked about how important the gospel, the good news of Jesus was. The only way to get us from our depraved state to be connected to the righteousness of God and God himself was through putting our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to save us. Now, in chapter 12, Paul's going to do something kind of radical. He's going to turn to an incredibly practical view of what does this mean. He's been talking about this now for pages. But he's saying, listen, now, if you understand this, if you got this, if the gospel makes sense to you, let's see what that means for the way we actually live out our lives. And so today we're going to see the first uh, few verses here in chapter 12 in a sermon titled, Serve the Body as a Living Sacrifice. Let's read Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll come back and look at it verse by verse. Here are the eight verses. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service, in our serving, the one who teaches, in his teaching, the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, the one who contributes, in generosity, the one who leads, with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. We see here that Paul talks about becoming this living sacrifice and serving the body. So let's look at five very quick principles today that I think can really change our lives. Think about this. He's been talking about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And then he says, now let me talk and turn to something practical. What he says first is probably most important. 
And I would encourage you that if you uh, don't memorize Scripture, if you've memorized Scripture, you're starting to or you're beginning to or whatever, Romans 12.1 should be one of the first 10 verses that you memorize. He's talking here about being a living sacrifice. Look back at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. Now, if I were to ask you what were the characteristics of a sacrifice, probably one of the very first things you would say is, uh, it's something dead, right? Of course you would. And so this term, living sacrifice, uh, sounds like an oxymoron, you know what an oxymoron is, right? It's two words that go together, but they sound kind of opposite, like jumbo shrimp, you know, freezer burn. That's a deafening silence. Ever had a working holiday? Yeah, yeah. Ever been found missing? Which is it? And I like this one. Uh, we're alone together. Interesting. So Paul, what does Paul mean by a living sacrifice? Because really a sacrifice is always dead by definition, isn't it? Well, sacrifice means surrendering or giving up oneself or a possession to God. It means surrendering it or giving it up. We just sang that song, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. That's talking about being a living sacrifice. Listen, uh, none of us in this room are dead, right? If you're dead, raise your hand. No, it's not true. Come on, stop that. Okay, of course not. We're all alive. But we can still be a living sacrifice to Christ. And living obviously means that we're still alive, we're not dead. And so this is a, a someone who has surrendered or given up their life to God, but is still alive. What are the, uh, some of the differences between a dead sacrifice and a living sacrifice? Well, a dead sacrifice is kind of done in a single act. There's one time, there's this single act of death, and then it's over. But a living sacrifice is different because it's continuous. I sacrifice myself today for Jesus. I wake up tomorrow. I sacrifice myself tomorrow for Jesus. I wake up tomorrow. And so there's this con continuity and this continuousness of giving oneself up in sacrifice to Christ over a period of time. It's not a one-time thing. We also see that sacrifice is costly for a moment. Uh, for an animal, if we were going to sacrifice an animal, uh, uh, you know, it's costly for them in a moment, but then it's over. Listen, being a living sacrifice is costly on a continual basis. It costs me something today to be a sacrifice for Jesus, to serve him. It's going to cost me something tomorrow to serve him. It's going to cost me something the next day and the next day and the next day. Why in the world would we think that it would cost us nothing? It costs Jesus everything. And so this living sacrifice is really this thinking uh, of, of giving ourselves up to the service and worship of God on a continual basis. Now, when I think about a word picture to help explain this, I, I was going to try this, but I didn't think it was a good idea. I was going to actually try to sit in one of the offering plates, but I was kind of felt like I might have gotten it stuck and probably couldn't get it off, you know? And so, but, but think about yourself. The offering plate comes by and you're sitting in the offering plate, giving yourself up as an offering. You're not giving your leftover cash. You're not giving uh, some information on a card. You're putting yourself in the offering plate and saying, here I am, Jesus. I give you me. 
A few years back when we first moved into this building, we had a, a, a Lord's Supper table that laid here in the front. And I was talking about this passage one time and this idea, and I kind of freaked out the congregation at the time. If you were here, you remember that. I, I actually said, this is what I think of. And I jumped up on the table and laid on the table. And, and I just, here it is. I just offer myself on an altar. Here I am, Lord. I'm just giving myself to you. That's what this is talking about. It's, he's saying, listen, and, and by the way, look at the wording here that I want you to see. This is so important. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore. Now, in other passages, that's translated, I beseech you. I beg you. Listen, Paul is not really an emotional guy if you read his stuff. He's a very deep thinker. He's a theologian. He's a great debater. And here he's saying, listen, guys, I'm begging you. I am begging you, if there's one thing you can do. Listen, if you understand the gospel, I'm begging you to do just one thing here. Be a living sacrifice. Give yourself up to Christ on the altar. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And when it says there, which is your spiritual service or spiritual worship, what that really means is this is just, this is like expected, it's like the norm, guys. It's not, it's not some deep uh, thing that most Christians don't do. This is what's expected of somebody who says, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to give my life to God through his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be a follower of him. It's just expected. Like the normal way to worship him is to say, here I am, Lord. I'm a sacrifice for you. I surrender. I don't only surrender my public life, but I surrender everything that I keep secret. I surrender the things that I do when nobody's looking. I surrender the ways that I think when I don't think I'll get caught. I'm going to be a living sacrifice all the way because I know I can't hide anything from you. And so I'm going to be a living sacrifice, which is just a reasonable act of service to God. And so Paul says, listen, be a living sacrifice. Then he says, know and do the will of God. Now, if we just did these two, like, perfectly, our lives would change drastically, wouldn't they? Be a living sacrifice all the time and know and do the will of God. Look what he says in verse 2. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable, and perfect. Here he says, I'm going to give you some steps to know and do the will of God. You know, a lot of people come to me and they say, man, I just, I don't know what to do here in this situation. Pastor, how do I, how do I make a decision on what to do? Uh, uh, kids, this time of year, where I, pastor, where should I go to college? I've got these two offers. I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm, do I go to college or not? Do I get married? Do I do this? Do I do this? Pastor, tell me, you know, like, you know, pastors have some kind of like magic crystal ball or something where we know what God's will is for all of you. We don't. That doesn't mean you should stop coming and talking, but we'll direct you, but, but we, don't, we don't know. So how do we find that? Well, Paul says, here's the first step. Don't be conformed to this world. Step one, don't be conformed to this world. Listen, folks, as long as your mind and your life is filled with the world, you aren't going to get a beat on, it's like, it's like, it's like a, a tuning in a radio. You can't get on God's frequency if your life is just full of junk. You, you just can't, uh, do, without repenting and turning away from your sins, 
and getting rid of some of the junk in your lives without being conformed to this, you just can't really hear God's voice. Now, I know my mother was not unlike many of your mothers. When I was a teenager and I would do something foolish, and she would say, Michael, why did you do that? I said, well, my friends were doing it. And she would look at me and say, what, what is wrong with you? If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? And I'm like, probably. I, I probably would, yeah. And, and you know, of course, she was trying to teach me not to do that, of course. What Paul's saying here is, guys, don't, don't just follow the world. Don't just be conformed to what they're doing, but be transformed in your mind. And folks, mind transform, transformation only comes through the word and the spirit of God. Being religious does not transform your mind. Coming to church doesn't transform your mind. Getting baptized doesn't transform your mind. Spending time with God transforms your mind. And so if you want to really know uh, what God wants you to do and be able to do it, you've got to spend time with him. Read his word. Spend time praying. Let his spirit speak to your heart. We just talked about, you know, there are songs, there are many songs that the Christian radio plays that we don't do here because they, they talk about uh, God getting more of us or us getting more of God. Yeah, us getting more of God. Well, folks, when you give your life to Christ, you get all of God that there is. You're as connected to him as you can possibly be. It's not about uh, uh, us getting more of him. It's about him getting more of us. It's about us surrendering more. And so Paul's saying here, listen, don't be conformed to this world. Let, let God transform your mind. Let him do that. Now, how do we do that? We spend time with his word and his spirit. In fact, one of the ways that I would encourage you to do that is if there's a certain things that you're battling with, there are certain things that you're struggling with, I want you to just uh, take a, you know, 20 post-it notes and put some verses on the, each one of those and stick them up in places that will just remind you help you just stay focused on what he wants, on what he's saying. I, I give people this advice all the time, and it's amazing how much they come back to me and like, dude, you're a genius. That was amazing. Why? Because I told you to focus on God's word. If that makes me a genius, I guess I am one. But 16 years ago when Julie had cancer, we put uh, post-it notes all over the house with verses that talked about how, how God has our lives in his hand how God has our future in his hand, how he loves us and how he wants the best for us. I go to the refrigerator to get a snack. There's a reminder that God has our lives in his hand. I open the cupboard to get a plate inside the door. There's a verse that tells me that God's got it all under control. I go to the mirror to fix my hair and there's a verse right there that tells me God's in control. I should be able to trust him. Folks, that begins to transform your mind. The problem is too many of us spend days or weeks or perhaps even months not spending time with him, not talking with him, not having any interaction. I can't imagine a single relationship that I have that I could go months without talking to them and still have a close relationship. Oh, I can still have one, but it wouldn't be as close. It wouldn't be as intimate. So if you want God to transform your mind, that's how you do it. Once we've forsaken sin and been transformed by Christ... He says, by living life or testing, we will figure out what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect for, in God's will for us. And of course, the goal of discerning God's will is to do it. You know, the, the goal of learning God's will isn't just to know and go, yeah, I know it. I'm not doing it, but I'm, I know it now. That's cool. 
No, of course, the, the, the goal is always to know it and then do it. And so Paul says, know and do the will of God. Third, he says, be humble. Be humble, accepting God's role for you in the body of Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, part of God's will is to fulfill the role that he has given us. And he's given all of us different roles to fulfill. But everybody has a role who has experienced God's grace. What Paul's saying is here, uh, the grace that's been given to me, it's my job to tell you uh, that God's given you grace and he's given you a role. So accept the role you've been given by God's grace. Don't desire somebody else's role. You know, too many people spend too much time going, oh man, man, I wish I could do what that guy's doing over there. Oh, I wish I could do what that gal's doing over there. Oh man, that's really cool what they're doing. I wish I could do that. Listen, learn uh, and, and understand who God made us to be. You need to understand your own spiritual gift. Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself. Just know yourself. Know yourself. You know, have a, a certain self-awareness. By the way, one of the ways to do that is to listen to your leadership. Now, we don't have all the answers to everything, but certainly God has put leaders in positions to lead. And occasionally people will come to Fellowship of Grace like they do all churches and say, hey, uh, pastor, I've only been here a couple of weeks, but this is what God's uh, telling me to do here at Fellowship of Grace. He's telling me to lead this thing for you guys. And we're like, we don't even know you yet. Um, and of course, they start off by saying, God's told me, because then if you challenge them, you know, you're challenging God, not them. Uh, but the reality is, folks, uh, God uses the leadership. He uses people around you. He uses all those things to help figure out your role in the body. And so listen to leadership and also uh, just spend time in ministry. Listen, the more ministry experience you have, the more you will know yourself, what you're good at, what you love doing, what you don't love doing, all that kind of stuff. But Paul's saying here, listen, to be humble, accepting what God's role is for you. Then he says there are many functions in one local church that work together. Look at verses 4 and the, uh, through the first half of 6. Paul writes, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now, this isn't talking about our grace for, for our salvation. It's talking about our grace for service. Paul uses the word picture of the body. He says it has many parts, many functions, but it's still one complete body. If I had enough time, I would do 100 push-ups for you and talk to you about what parts of the body I was using and what muscles I was using. Then I would do 100 sit-ups for you and talk to you about that. And frankly, then I'd probably do a couple of throw-ups. And we could talk about the muscles I would use for that. But here's the point Paul's making. He says we all have different gifts based on God's grace and his choosing. None of us have all spiritual gifts. None of us. Because then we'd be Jesus. Okay? But together, we may have all the spiritual gifts because he's given spiritual gifts to each one of us. And we each need to find our place to serve in the body. There's a really stupid 
and if anybody's going to this college, I apologize. I shouldn't have said stupid. There's this really stupid online college commercial uh, that every time it comes on, I yell at the television and my wife just shakes her head at me. But they say this, talent is equally distributed, but opportunity isn't. Baloney! That's ridiculous. Nothing can be further from the truth, folks. Uh, Albert Einstein is just simply smarter than me, okay? It wasn't because he got an opportunity to be there and I didn't. Listen, we're all different, folks. I'm not the pastor here because I got here first before any of you. I'm the pastor because for in whatever God's scheme of things, he, he, he called me to do this. He, he asked me to do this. Folks, talent is not equally distributed. Don't listen to the world that's telling us that we are all exactly the same thing. And the only thing that makes us different is our circumstances and our uh, chances in life. It's not true. You are an individual. God has made you, you, and nobody on the planet is just like you because he has something for you to do. And it fits in the body. If it's fellowship of grace, it's, it's in this body. In the church, there are many gifts given by God, but not all are the same. In 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about gifts and, and how the body comes together. Now, I'm not a biologist or an anatomist or, you know, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not a science guy. I'm a creative guy not a science guy, but I know that there's a whole bunch of different organs in your body. If you lose one, you're in trouble. Now, we all know if you lose your brain or you lose your heart, those are big deals. But listen, if you lose your kidneys, it's going to affect your body tremendously. If you lost your pancreas, that's going to affect your body tremendously. It's going to affect everything. See, the reality is if my pancreas wants to be a heart and it refuses to participate because it doesn't like being the pancreas, I'm in a lot of trouble. I don't know if God's made you the pancreas or the kidney here at Fellowship of Grace, but whatever he's made you, be a good one. Be a good one. Listen, he's put together this body. Listen, every local... Now, when I talk about local bodies here, and I'm talking about the local body. And the reason we know that this is the little C church, not the big C church, what I mean by that is the big C church is the church universal, all Christians everywhere. The reason he's not talking about this in these passages is because he's going to name some spiritual gifts that you can't exercise in the whole body at once. These are gifts that are given to this local body. God's put you in this church uh, to be a part of what's going on here. Now listen, if... If you've been here for, you know, 12 weeks, 14 weeks, 18 weeks, 32 weeks, three years, and you aren't yet connected, you just, if you're not going to get connected, you just need to go to another church and get connected there. Folks, God does not want you to be disconnected. He doesn't want you to be disconnected. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities, spiritual gifts, to participate in a local body. And listen, if you're the pancreas here, do the pancreas thing because nobody else might be a pancreas. And we don't want to be a pancreasless church. Uh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about, right? Guys, it's important. I mean, I mean, I'm kind of wisecracking about it, but I want you to understand it's really important that all of us fulfill what God's called us to do. The pastor's not more important than you. 
the lead singer is not more important than you. We're just different. The guy who opens the door, the gal who opens the door, or the gal who passes out, they're not more important than anybody else. They're just different. They're fulfilling a different role. We just talked about that last week when we talked about honoring women. We talked about how God, uh, you know, we should honor women because they are, are equal to men in many, 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 many ways, including their importance, including their value, including their relationship with God. But they do have some different roles. That's clear from God's word. It's the same thing here. Not all, all of us are, are, are to fulfill the same role, but we're all of equal value. And it's important to remember that. Paul's saying there are many functions in one local church that work together. And lastly, he says, and I've already been touching on it, but that's execute your gift passionately. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Listen, if you've got to just use it, okay? If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. He's saying, listen, guys, if God has invested something in you, use it. Use it. Discover your gift. Use it passionately in the body. This is, folks, this is the expected and natural outcome of being a living sacrifice. You just can't be a living sacrifice and a Lone Ranger Christian at the same time. Folks, you can't find any Lone Ranger Christians in the New Testament. You can't find anybody who's disconnected in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus didn't even send his disciples out alone. He sent them out in pairs because he knows we've been created for community. We are created to interact with one another, to, to encourage one another. None of us is a perfect expression of Jesus by ourselves because we don't have all the spiritual gifts. But together, collectively, in a local body, we can be a really great uh, example to Jesus, to the community, because they see all the spiritual gifts operating here. Now, I'm, you know, I was exercising my spiritual gifts before I became a pastor. My spiritual gifts, the three main ones are uh, leading and exhortation or encouragement and evangelism. I was exercising them and, and doing them long before I became a pastor, because it's what God had invested in me. If you believe you are a follower of Christ and you have no interest in serving the body, folks, there's just a severe disconnect there. I don't want to be mean, but there's just a severe disconnect in your thinking. If you're thinking that, hey, I can come here, uh, you know, a couple times a month and just sit down, you know, kind of be a sponge and, you know, do the service, and then leave here as quick as the service is over. I'm not going to connect to anybody. I'm not going to serve in ministry. I'm not going to invest anything. I'm not going to use the spiritual gifts that God's invested to me. I just got to go, do you really understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a living sacrifice? Because a living sacrifice says, I'm going to put myself in the plate, and I'm going to do whatever God asked me to do. And one of the things he asks us to do is to serve and encourage the body of Christ. It's almost like another oxymoron, folks. If you were to say, I'm a non-serving, non-connected follower of Jesus. That's just an oxymoron. You can't find a single example of that in the New Testament. 
So Paul's given us some really practical advice in, in really a short period of time. He says, listen, listen, be a living sacrifice. Sacrifice it all. Just lay your life on the line and give it to Jesus. Then know and do the will of God. And part of that is to be humble and accept God's role for you in the body of Christ. There are many functions. Figure out what God has invested in you, what your spiritual gift is, and then exercise it in the local church and execute it with passion. Do it well. And by the way, I don't want you to ever think that when you read verses like that, if you don't have the gift of mercy, you don't have to be merciful. It doesn't say that at all. It's just saying what God has invested in you, 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 you leverage it. You do it well. I don't have the gift of mercy. It's not like part of who I am. You know, when, when a, 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 a television commercial comes on and shows children in Africa starving, my wife, who has the gift of mercy, is like, oh, look at them. I feel so bad for them. We should give them something. We should give them money. And I'm like, we should go tell them about Jesus because my evangelism gets, pops up, you see. Uh, but it doesn't mean I, I, I don't need to be merciful. Just because she doesn't have the spiritual gift of evangelism doesn't mean she doesn't have to share the gospel. We should all try to do all those things. But God has specifically gifted you to do something and be motivated to do something really well in the body of Christ. So this morning, if you aren't a Christian, if you haven't yet stepped over the line of faith, I want to encourage you, be a living sacrifice today and follow Jesus. Decide that today is the day you're going to cross that line of faith and say, I am putting my faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save me. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm making the decision to be born spiritually by God's power and be his child forever. You can do that today. If you're a disconnected Christian, get connected. Get connected. And if it's not here, go find another Bible-believing church that you can get connected to. But you need to be connected somewhere, folks. If you're a non-serving Christian, I want to challenge you to get involved in the local church Listen, I don't know any church that doesn't have more needs than they do people to serve. Now, our church does really, really well, and we average about 75 to 80% involved in ministry somehow. But folks, that means there's 20% of us that aren't involved in ministry at all, and we need to be. We need to be. If you haven't discovered your spiritual gift, let us help you. We can give you opportunities to test what it is, and, and uh, you know, we've got a spiritual gift assessment that you can take if you have some ministry experience. And listen, our church is not like a lot of churches where, you know, you commit to a something, you say, hey, I'll give this a try, and you've been sentenced to 30 years in that ministry, and the only way you're going to get out of that is if Jesus comes back. You know, we aren't like that. So if you get involved in a ministry and you're like, wow, dude, this is not for me, fine, fine, but let's find the place for you, Okay. And by the way, if you're here today and you have nothing to offer or you think you have nothing to offer, stop arguing with God. Stop arguing with God. He says you do. He says you have something to offer because when I saved you, I invested something in you. And so you may not know what it is. You may not know how to let it out yet. But tell us that so we can help you figure that out. But don't argue with him anymore and say, I don't have anything to offer. Because God says you do. Use that connection card that's in front of you to describe how we can help you. Folks, we are here to help you. We want to help you take that next step, whatever it is. And so uh, just fill out that card today. Put it in the basket there in the back of the room. 
before you leave and learn to serve the body as a living sacrifice. Serve the body as a living sacrifice. Folks, life is not about us. It is about bringing honor and glory to the one who saved us and making his name famous in the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit that guide us so wonderfully. Thank you for this letter to the churches in Rome that we can benefit from. Father, thank you for uh, just challenging us to be a living sacrifice, to not just consider ourselves or to call ourselves Christians, but to really uh, sing and say and live, I surrender. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to fulfill that. And then help us just to see uh, the blessing that comes uh, through serving you and through having community with the people that you have saved. Lord, we thank you and we love you and we just pray for your guidance as we continue to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.